Welcome to Happy Rant Sports. I'm Ted Cluck, joined, as always, in studio by my host and good friend, Barnabas Piper. Uh, Pipe, you are still uh, alive after a crazy day of playoff football in the NFL. We will get to that in a moment. But I want to talk about something that our fans can get to and should get to, uh, and they can get their tickets for cheap. So we have Live in Louisville 2, also known as Together for the Rant. Uh, it's coming up in April. It's coming up in conjunction with another large reformed conference in Louisville, which I, I will not say the name of because I'm contractually obligated to only promote our event. But uh, Pipe, tell them about uh, specifics about Live in Louisville too and where they can get tickets. Yeah, if, if you go to happyrantpodcast.com, you can find you can find the details about the event there. It is the evening of April 10th, starts at 8 p.m. Eastern time in Louisville, Kentucky. It is on the eve of that other event that shall not be named. Um, and so if you are planning to be in town for that one anyway, you may as well get your tickets. But the thing to remember is that until the end of January, so probably about 10 days from the time of this release, you can get your tickets for $10 a piece. After that, the price jumps to 15 So I'd go ahead and grab your tickets now because because uh, why not save the money? And if you're bringing a group or thinking of coming with a collection of people, uh, you get a significant, obviously significant savings. So plan on 8 p.m., April 10th, I think it's a Tuesday night, right before right. that other conference in Louisville, Kentucky. We will record multiple episodes. We will do Q&A. There will be sheet cake. We've already locked that in. We are working with sponsors, which means that there will be giveaways of various varieties, high-quality wares and goods and probably reading material. We will have some of our stuff there. We will have Ligaris Roasters Coffee there, which I tried a new roast from Ligaris this week. Uh, their Brazil roast. Dude, really? Which one? Uh, the Brazil. Um, I forget that. I forget the name of it. It's something, it has gold in the name and it's Brazil. It is uh-huh. like all their stuff. It's amazing. So um, awesome. all of that will be there and we would love to have you come out. We had a blast in October with listeners. Uh, we got good feedback from people and we anticipate a bigger crowd and even more fun this time. Pipe, that's a lot of entertainment for $10, don't you think? I Yes. I I mean, I'd, I'd say it's worth at least three times that much. And so even when we raise the price, consider it a 50% discount. Absolutely. So us, the John Calvin bust, um, the woodworking, because it's a sojourn church, what would it be without some random woodworking products? So that will all be there. The metallurgy shop will be there. Uh, I can't wait, Piper. But I also can't wait to talk about uh, NFL playoff football. And I'm going to I'm going to make you wait a little bit to talk about the, the Minnesota Vikings in their um, – miraculous finish yesterday uh, because I want to run something else by you. It's something I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, It's a segment called Blake Bortles apologist. All right. And here's how this is going to work. I'm going to be a Blake Bortles apologist because I think I am one in real life. Uh, I've been studying the Jags. I've been watching them all season. Uh, I watched them dispatch the Steelers this weekend uh, fairly easily. And I want to, I want to run. The score was definitely closer than the game. Absolutely. Yeah. Jacksonville was dominant. They were very, very dominant. There were some head scratching uh, play calls by Mike Tomlin that uh, that that, yeah, kind of left you asking questions. But nevertheless, Jacksonville is going to play for a chance to play in the Super Bowl, Piper. This is crazy. Uh, This is a team that's been a perennial seller dweller of late. 
and uh, they have found a formula that works. So this segment is called Blake Bortles Apologist. And what I'm going to do first is I want to acquaint you, Piper, with a list of names of quarterbacks who have started in Super Bowls, okay? Uh, I'm just going to run this list by you, and I want you to respond to it. Uh, okay. Neil, Neil O'Donnell. Remember Neil O'Donnell, Pittsburgh Steeler? Yep, I do. Uh, Stan Humphreys. Do you remember Stan the man? Yep. Chargers. Yeah, he, he looked like a Stan, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And I mean, he I think he wore like one of those rib protectors, but it it just made him look real punchy. Yeah, it, it accentuated what was already there, which was kind of a round midsection. And he had a very round face, too. So he looked like yeah, it a was, Stan Humphreys. It was more girdly than it was rib protector. Exactly. Exactly. I've got another one, Piper. Mark Rippon uh, won a Super yep. Bowl for the Redskins. You know, not uh-huh. a spectacular quarterback, but very solid. That was the last time the Super Bowl was in Minnesota. That's right. Absolutely. Good trivia there, Piper. He beat uh, beat Jim Kelly, I believe. So he was mm-hmm. he was squaring off against an elite quarterback and uh, came away with a win in that one. Doug Williams, um, not a superstar quarterback, obviously made history, um, but he was a very average quarterback, won a Super Bowl with the Redskins. David Woodley started a Super Bowl for Miami right before the Dan Marino era. Um, That's the first name you've said that I don't recognize. I would have guessed Dave Woodley was like their assistant GM. Dude, so here's the crazy thing about David Woodley. All those amazing years that Dan Marino had, I mean, he had like almost a 20-year run in Miami right after David Woodley. Never played in a Super Bowl. Uh, But the Dolphins went to a Super Bowl right before uh, Marino got there, and their starting quarterback was David Woodley. Uh, Next name is Trent Dilfer. Remember Trent Dilfer, the Uh cosmic game manager? Yeah, for the Ravens. For the Ravens, that's right. And then last name on the list is Rex Grossman. Um, now, <laughs> <laughs> I, I lived in Chicago when Grossman was the quarterback, and I loved Rex Grossman because I hate the Bears. Toast of the town in Chicago. I mean, Rex Grossman, his, his money is no good in Chicago, Piper. You know, um, The reason I share this list is that these are all what, what I would call not superstar quarterbacks. These are all guys who um, – they were just they were just there. You know what I mean? They were there. They were kind yep. of coached around. And I think what's brilliant about Jacksonville's approach, and I want to get you to weigh in on this, is that they have workshopped the Blake Bortles problem. Bortles was a punchline coming into the season. Bortles was a joke. Um, many people thought Chad Henney would beat him out for that job. Uh, but Jacksonville is now playing for a berth in the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles as their starter. And he's doing some good things, Piper. This is the thing. Um, he had a very good stat line this last, uh, this last Sunday, didn't turn the football over. Um, I think he was like 14 for 24 for 216 yards or something like that. So very efficient stat line for Blake Bortles. Um, I think this team is working because of the kinds of games that they're calling for Blake Bortles. They're not, um, they're not asking him to win the football game. Um, they have one of the most athletic, fast, exciting defenses since, uh, they they're actually remind like, me a lot like of those Baltimore teams. Yeah, the Baltimore teams. I was going to say even the Jimmy Johnson era Cowboys that were that were built you know so heavily on speed yeah. defensively. Uh, they are a fun team to watch, man. Big too. That's the thing. Like you think fast defense, you think like Tony Dungy's right. uh, Tampa defense. But those were little guys. Yeah, little undersized. Guys. These guys are monsters. Yeah, Jim and Lee they Ramsey's fly. Like, they're cor- Miles Jackson. Their cornerbacks. Their cornerbacks are like they are like. Uh, they're like wide receivers playing cornerback. They're monsters. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I look at Blake Bortles pipe and I look at a guy who's better than, than a lot of starting quarterbacks in the league. So I'm going to, I want to get you to weigh in on that first. And then I'm going to lob some current QB names at you. And I want you to tell me whether 
or not that person is better than Blake Bortles. So uh, first of all, weigh in on my theory, and then we'll get to some specific names. Um, you put a positive spin on what I would call winning in spite of Blake Bortles. Interesting. So he the the best that Blake Bortles can offer the Jaguars mm-hmm. is not turning the ball over. Okay, that's that's his ceiling. Okay, you know he now he unlike some of those quarterbacks you mentioned earlier, he actually does look like and occasionally throw <laughs> like an NFL quarterback. Exactly. Like he's big, he's athletic, he has a big yeah. arm, um, but he also misses. Just tons of throws. He's very Rex Grossmany, except that Grossman was like six one. He is Grossman and he's Grossman in in certain ways for sure. Now and and this team is a lot like that Bears team that went and played the Colts right. um, in the Super Bowl because he it's uh the defense is the defense is is what carries it and the running game, except that their running game is better than that Bears team and their defense is not as like turnover right. heavy. They're more just three and out. They will three and out you all day long. Absolutely. Yeah, I think top to bottom, they're a much better team than that Bears. I think that Bears team was healthy and they they got hot at the right time and they they kind of lucked their way into that Super Bowl. Um, but man, Piper, as the, as the only member of the mainstream media who is a Blake Bortles apologist, I expect, and I, I know Blake's family is listening, so uh, I, I expect some you know, some Christmas gifts next year from the Bortles family and uh, just, just some love to come our way. But Piper, here's my thing about Jacksonville and about Bortles. I think, I think what will probably happen this offseason is that they will not pay him um, the exorbitant salary that he's due next year. Uh, they will let him walk and they'll replace him with someone who is allegedly a better quarterback than him. And they will begin operating under the misconception that they have a good quarterback and I think they'll get worse. So, for example, I think they could take on Mr. 8-8, eight and eight, Kirk Cousins, and they could mistakenly think that they have a good quarterback, and I think they could regress next year. What do you think about that? I think that's true. I think if they sign somebody like Cousins yeah. um, or any of the three Vikings quarterbacks who will all be free agents, right. um, they would, yes, they would immediately go, let's throw the ball 38 times a game. Right. And right. – and there would be more turnovers. They would lose some of the some of what makes them what they are. There are quarterbacks who are going to be free agents who they should they could play very similarly to what they do now, except that those quarterbacks are better game managers. Like I think Alex Smith is the perfect Jags quarterback. Dude, see, I think because- Alex Smith is is a way way better quarterback than people give him credit for. I, I think you're absolutely right. If they if they're able to acquire an Alex Smith, they become a very he's, he's they're going to I mean the Chiefs are going to cut him. Yeah. I mean he's I think he's under contract for one more year mm-hmm. for, with them, but they're going to cut him because they drafted uh what's his face? Um yeah, yeah, Mahomes in and and they are in terrible cap situation. So Smith is He's underrated, but he has a he he has a definitive ceiling. Yeah. But the ceiling is exactly right for that team because you know they're going to run the ball a ton. They have a great defense. They have explosive receivers who can make plays on behalf of the quarterback. Yep. And Smith doesn't miss a lot of throws, and he doesn't turn the ball yeah. over. The difference between him and Bortles is that Bortles does miss a ton of throws, sure. and and can get real turnover happy like just chucks the ball around in dumb ways and Smith never does that he's like pathologically cautious yeah i i love that about him i love that he doesn't turn the ball over i think alex smith makes them a dangerous football team however i think 
I think Kirk Cousins makes them worse. I think Eli Manning makes them worse. Um, I, I think. I think Eli. To be fair, I think Eli Manning makes almost every team worse. He is the worst potential Hall of Fame quarterback in history. Yeah, that's right, man. What do you do with him? He's a trash. He's a trash quarterback. Who do you compare him to, Piper? I mean, a, a guy that's probably going to go into the Hall of Fame. Um, who do we compare him to? He okay. Eli Manning is to football what Jack Morris is to baseball. Oh, interesting. Suss that out. Jack Morris, famous. So, uh, so Jack Morris yeah. was a was a, a frontline starting pitcher through the 80s and early 90s, largely for the Detroit Tigers, pitched on really good Detroit Tigers teams. Yeah. And then uh, and then had a couple seminal postseason moments for the Twins uh, in 91, including pitching 10 innings in their in their game seven win over the Braves. Jack Morris was never a truly dominant pitcher. He was a truly durable pitcher mm. who was pretty good, and he accumulated stats, and he won in the postseason. Yeah, he so had a big persona he too. Is, he was a, he was a cool looking yeah. guy. Yeah, big yeah, big like handlebar mustache uh-huh. had that just sort of like eighties tough guy yeah. swagger. He kind of carried himself um, like a star, which, even though he wasn't necessarily a star. Which Eli Manning uh doesn't have any swagger. He looks like he's scared to get punched by the bully every day. <laughs> um but but in terms of the course of the career, so Manning has had these huge postseason moments, two Super Bowl championships, but uh, against good, really good teams, like historic yeah. teams. And he's statistically he's accumulated a ton of stats. Uh-huh. But he's never been. I mean, I maybe top ten quarterback in the league. Never top five. Yeah, totally agree. You know, there's all. I mean, and and so he's just he's gonna finish. He's gonna finish with historic stats. You know, in that top tier all time, two Super Bowls, winning record. Like whenever he retires in the next, you know, two to four right. years, and he's never been impressive. Dude, you know what part of my issue is I, with with Eli Manning, and it's the same issue I have with Sam Bradford. And I, I would be anxious to hear your thoughts on this. It's the fit of the jersey. Sam Bradford's jersey, he, he looks like he looks like a nine-year-old who forgot his jersey for peewee practice and he borrowed one of his dads. You know what I mean? It's huge. Yeah. They got like the big floppy sleeves and stuff. It's floppy, it's baggy. He he I, I know Sam Bradford is an elite athlete, Piper. I mean, he's a he's a world-class athlete. No one's denying that. But in that jersey, he looks like a ridiculous nine-year-old who lost his his jersey on the way to peewee practice. Comment. <laughs> It's absolutely true. Not to mention that he he has a he has a very young looking face. So when you put him yes. in a helmet with that jersey, it and he wears skinny little shoulder pads. Both of those guys do, yeah. which means their helmets look too big, their jerseys are baggy. And yeah, they like I yeah. remember when I started playing football in elementary school and we were like a bunch of little weeble wobbles running around except for the fat kids. And uh yeah. and that's it's why, because the helmet was too big and it just like joggled back and forth. That's kind of what those guys look like. Dude, he look yeah, it looks like an orange on a toothpick on on Sam Bradford, you know. And uh mm-hmm. yeah, fit is everything, man. Fit is everything when it comes to the to the jersey. You know, Sam Bradford has a he has a Stan Humphreys face, you know? A little and, bit. Yeah, you you don't want that. You don't want to have a Stan Humphreys face. Piper, I'm gonna float a couple names by you, and I want you to talk about whether or not Blake Bortles is better than the the quarterbacks that I'm gonna mention. Okay. Um, okay, I'm starting with Jameis Winston. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Blake Bortles better or worse than Jameis Winston? Who'd you uh, rather have? Man. Yeah. I, Blake Bortles is a better fit on his current team because he is willing to throw the ball only 12 times a game. 
Whereas Jameis Winston is convinced that he is the best player on the field every time he sets foot on the field and he makes throws as if he is the best quarterback in the league and he makes a lot of terrible decisions. I think he's more talented than Bortles in terms of like physical ability. And I think he, he understands how to be a quarterback at the, of the traditional professional variety better. But I think he's another one of those guys who, if you put him on Jacksonville, people would be like, man, they're going to improve so much. Right. And they would go till they would become like a 10 and six, nine and 17 because their defense is great, but he'd still throw 21 interceptions. Absolutely. Yeah. To be fair, they have some of the same issues, Um, but Bortles completion percentage is higher. Bortles interception percentage is lower yet. I think perception wise, we perceive Jameis Winston as this locker room leader, this high upside, you know, young quarterback with potential when the reality is the product on the field has not been um, even as good as Blake Bortles. Um, yeah, the the thing the thing about so Winston is a really interesting case because the most important thing for any young quarterback is coaching. Yeah. Is the coach that they're paired with. Right. You know, Brady, Brady and Belichick are the best example. Like would Brady have been Brady if he had played under anybody else? Who knows? Right. Uh, but they, they developed this, this working relationship that helped both of them become, you know, the best ever. Whereas Winston has, has played under really bad coaches. Right. Right. Weak, weak leaders and poor offensive minds. And, you know, I don't know if he knows how to take coaching. I don't know any of those things about him. Whereas Bortles is now playing under a coach who has a very firm hand and simply says, you will not lose the game for us, which does not set him up to be a great quarterback, but it does set the team up for success. Correct. Correct. Piper, I'm going to give you another name. Okay. Andy Dalton, better or worse than Blake Bortles? Andy Dalton is better than Blake Bortles. Okay. For this, I, I I think, because I think Andy Dalton is another one who suffers from improper coaching. Yes. Because he he should be in more of the Blake Bortles role, but he's a he is a better and more accurate passer, mm-hmm. which means that they could throw the ball like 21 times a game instead of 14 times a game. Yeah. And he can and he could get a few more plays out of his receivers. I don't think Andy Dalton's a good quarterback, but I think he can do more mm-hmm. than Bortles can. So, but but he's also not. He doesn't think he's a. He doesn't think he's a fifty throw. He's a, he doesn't think he's Drew Brees. You know, exactly. where he's the he's the point guard of this high powered offense. He he's willing to throw it as needed. And so, if he was coached properly, he would put them in a better spot than they are now. By the way, Andy Dalton, terrible quarterback name. Don't you agree? Yeah, Andy's not a strong quarterback name. It really isn't. In fact, Andy's not a strong football name. What is Andy a strong name of? Like, what walk of life is? Do you go? Yeah, Andy. Absolutely, that makes sense. I mean, I think I think you could have a good kicker named Andy. Okay. Um, and I I think Andy is a solid tennis player name. Oh, um, sure. There have been there have been several tennis Andys, haven't? I mean. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's Andy Roddick is the most yeah. most recent. I think Andy is um, like a like a second tier PGA golfer. So yeah. he's not, you know, he's not winning the Masters, but like he occasionally is like he's on the leaderboard going into the last day of a of a uh, of a major. Sure, sure. So we're talking we're and talking def- country def- club sports for Andy. Well, also race car driving. Oh, interesting. Like Andy is Andy is a strong NASCAR name. It is. It is. It's kind of boyish. Kind of uh, yeah. Kind of fun-loving, kind of devil-may-care. Yeah, I'm feeling it. 
I got one more quarterback for you, Piper. Better or worse than Blake Bortles? The name is Marcus Mariota. Oh, mercy. I know. Uh, Hard to separate um, the young man from his coaching situation of late. Yes. Which we'll, which we'll talk, talk about, about shortly. Yeah. Um, Mariota is another one who is the victim of horrendous coaching. Yeah. So I think if he played in Jacksonville, they would have looked at him and said, oh, he can do a few things exceptionally. Right. And they would have. And so all of a sudden that running game that's been potent would have been explosive because Mariota would have been running the ball eight times a game. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, they would have they would have simplified the passing for him and their receivers are better. I think Mariota is significantly better than Bortles as a in potential. But he is. He has been so mishandled, it's very hard to to say that definitively. He has been mishandled, and we're going to see him handled differently next year because the Tennessee Titans today announced that they have parted ways with head coach Mike Malarkey. So uh, despite a divisional round playoff appearance, uh, the Titans will be going in a different direction with their head coach. What's that? I said, yeah, in a playoff victory. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I mean, they, they, they tripped and fell into a win against uh, – Against the the Andy Reid's game management. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he, here's an interesting one, Pipe, Did, on the Blake Bortles tip, just uh, for one more minute. This kid could potentially play in a Super Bowl this year. Uh, he's definitely playing in an AFC title game. More than likely, he will be unemployed by his current team. What becomes of Blake Bortles next season? Um, He... That's a really good – that's a really interesting question. I, I mean, I think he probably goes to be sort of the developmental guy behind a Carson Palmer, Eli Manning type uh-huh. of guy. You know, so like Arizona picked up Blaine Gabbert this year. Um, he becomes he becomes next year's Blaine Gabbert, essentially. Yeah, and and so yeah. he like – he'll show enough that people are like, oh, I don't know, he might still have it. But he's he's going to be like, – he's just David Carr, you know? Right. You remember? Right. So, so I pie pick – looked the part, mm-hmm. uh, showed enough flashes, bounced around a little bit. Now, granted, David Carr got sacked like 80 times his rookie year, and I think he was just shell-shocked thereafter. Right. But he's, Bortles will, will never be better than, a, than an untrustworthy backup with decent upside. Correct. Um, Pipe, any parting words for Mike Malarkey? You live in Nashville. Uh, I live in the, the Tennessee, Tennessee Titans media kind of market. Um, I think neither of us are sad to see Mike Malarkey go from a a viewing entertainment standpoint. Um, What would, what would you like to say to Mike Malarkey as he, uh, as he exits the greater Nashville area? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to pour, you know, vinegar on the wound of getting fired. That, that seems uh, distasteful. I would like to ask him Uh what in the world did he like, what, what made him think that, that was the offense to run for Marcus Mariota. Yeah. I mean, as you look around the league and you see creative offensive minds putting limited players in a position to succeed, why in the world did you think that was what would make him succeed? So the last bit of news that I read about Mike Malarkey was that uh, he's probably going to end up in Cleveland as the offensive coordinator. So um, be thankful, Piper, that you don't live in Cleveland. That fan base has been through a lot, and they're about to go through a lot more, I think. Well, I mean, if 
Well, I mean, if you if you've gone one in thirty one over the last two years and retained your coach, why wouldn't you bring in an offensive coordinator who has proven himself unable to run an offense? Like it's it's exactly what you should do. Yeah, I have no idea what they're doing in Cleveland. You know, the fact that neither did they. Yeah, <laughs> neither did they. Exactly. We we have that in common. Piper, on to happy things. Let's uh, let's talk about your Minnesota Vikings. Um, describe for me the just the the look and feel of the Piper household yesterday when uh, the end of that Viking Saints game happened. So talk me through like where yeah. you were at emotionally. Like what kind of fan are you? Do you get do you get angry? Do you swear? Do you throw things? Do you, do you just kind of seethe? What what does that look like when your team is down late in the game? So a little bit of context. I'm actually in Minneapolis right now. I came up here for a conference. And so I was here for work, but came in over the weekend and was able to watch the game with uh, a close friend who I've known since I was 12. And we've, well, we were trying to figure out how many games we've watched together. And uh, f- between the ages of 12 and 18, it was, it was probably like three quarters of all Vikings games. Sure. Um, and so there was a, which means we've lived through all of the misery of the last couple decades together as well. Right. Um, and so that, so we, we were watching together at a sports bar and, um, you know, sharing, sharing the, the peaks of the first half and then the, the impending doom in the second half. <laughs> I'm, I used to be a swear and throw things fan. Yeah. Um, which doesn't mean I don't have those feelings anymore. It's right. just that, um, I have I've begun I'm I force myself to be dispassionate because it hurts too much to feel when you are a Vikings fan. So it is better to Yeah. You're the classic kind of like wounded middle-aged man figure in that you've been hurt so much that you're keeping like all emotions at arm's length. Yeah, you like know what I, I mean? You're that- it, with so within moments of that victory yesterday, um which mm-hmm. was literally the greatest Vikings victory in my lifetime. Like there's it, unbelievable. Yeah. It, there, yeah. We have never had that happen in terms of the, the good fortune the the pendulum never swings our way at the end of the game. In fact, that it followed That's a right. script that I'm all too familiar with, which is Vikings take the lead, but leave too much time on the clock and the other team drives down and scores. Exactly. And now, were you saying, so like, I, were you saying cynical things to your friends near the end when, when it looked like the Vikings were going to lose, like I knew they would do this. And like, was, was that, banter starting it it wasn't cynicism at that point it was despair sure i mean yeah we it was just looking at each other and we had a we had a heart-to-heart conversation about could we still be vikings fans after they do this to us again mm. like could we come back again the next year mm-hmm. and you know get backed over by that truck again yeah because as this is an all too familiar thing and so it was it was it was not cynicism like when in 2009, when they mm-hmm. lost to the Saints in the NFC Championship game and far through the interception, I felt nothing, uh-huh. and I knew it was coming. And I would they just mm-hmm. just pure cynicism mm-hmm. the whole season because I because I, I hate Brett Favre yeah. uh, as a football player. Yeah. So I just knew it was going to happen. This this was different. Like I I was genuinely feeling optimistic and fighting optimism. I was like, don't be optimistic. That's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Optimism is how you get hurt. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. So there was no cynicism in this game, just a an impending sense of doom and a growing sense of despair. Yeah. And even when they got the ball back with 20 seconds, I was just like, what, they're going to put it in the hands of their kicker? How That's worked out so well for the Vikings in the past. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 
you know, thanks Blair Walsh and Gary Anderson and probably other ones I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I just, I was just, when the, when the Saints kicked the field goal with 30, what, 32, 29 seconds left, whatever it was, my, I just put my face on the table. Mm-hmm. I just laid my head on the table and was just like, I, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. yeah. I, I, this is it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was as low as I have been as a fan since 1998. Wow. That's huge. Now I want to, I want to interject with a couple of questions. One, are you a Jersey to the sports bar kind of guy? And if so, what Jersey did you wear? No, I, I would wear a Jersey to a live event. Um, I wore, I wore a Vikings hat. I actually bought a Vikings hat. I didn't, I didn't have one. I didn't have any Vikings gear. I I used to have some and then it all disappeared at, at various points. So I, I wore a hat. Um, but, I would wear a jersey to if I was in the stadium, yeah, gotcha. or if it's the Super Bowl because yeah. all things are you know not to jinx us, yeah. And it would be a John Randall jersey without question. I love it, man. I love it. That's that's the the best jersey that it could be. You said something interesting when you were explaining the psychology, and and I think your exact words were optimism is how you get hurt. Um, and, and not to take this into sort of reform pubcasty a direction, but. <laughs> I would I would venture to say that sadly and ashamedly I've lived much of my adult life probably subconsciously believing that. You know what I mean? Um like well don't get too high and when's the other shoe going to drop and you know like operatively that's been my that that's sort of been my outlook on life which is sad. Um but it made me wonder like you know that being your fan experience like how much of that kind of bleeds over into into regular everyday life for you. Oh, I'm I'm certain that it affects other parts of my life. I mean, I've been called a cynic more than more than a few times about sure. most things. I I think in other areas of life I'm a little bit more rational, you mm-hmm. know, so a little bit more even-handed about things. So while I'm not wildly optimistic, I see the positive possibilities. And then I also see the counterpoints of like, these things could both happen. When it comes to the Vikings, I, the positive possibilities are, they don't, they seem like impossibilities. Right. So it is, I mean, I had this, I was having this conversation with my dad uh, the day before the game because he's not a diehard Vikings fan. You know, he's been around, he enjoys watching games with other people, but he doesn't particularly care. Mm-hmm. And he's a perpetual sports optimist. Like they could be down 28 with four minutes left. And he's like, all it takes is a long touchdown pass and an onside kick and another touchdown pass and then a turnover. And then, another, you know, like, he'll, like he's that guy, which drives me nuts. Dude, that's uh, fascinating. I'm, and so I was trying to explain to him the mindset of the perpetually downtrodden Vikings fan. And he just sort of shook his head in a, in a pitying way yeah. and, uh, and, you know, essentially was showed himself to be mildly ashamed of me for my, my cynicism. And then of course he texts me right after the game because I wasn't watching it with him yeah. and, uh, and just one word and just said curse and a question mark as oh. if to say like, it was a big, I told you so. Yeah. As if to say, how do you like your cynicism now, junior, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Sort of yeah. I hate it when dad is right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Piper, what did you do when, um, uh, when, when the last play happened? So, um, this crazy pass, uh, who, who's the kid for New Orleans who missed the tackle? I've forgotten his name already. That's, uh, uh, Gordon, maybe something like that. I can't yeah, remember. I, 43. He was a safety, um, uh, ducked his head, whiffed on a tackle. Uh, you're, yeah, he went for like the big, he went for the big, like undercut upending shot instead of just Dude, which he totally didn't have to do. So, I I mean, 
at that point, was, I think I think he was trying to break up the reception. He wanted to undercut him so the guy would drop the ball. You know, just pull him down in bounds, and the game's over. I mean, right? I, I think the coaching point has to be nobody leave their feet here. You know, there, there's yeah. absolutely no reason to leave your feet. There's no reason to go for a kill shot or a pass breakup or an interception. Just keep the ball in front of you and get the guy on the ground. But he he goes for the kill shot. Um, your guy runs unabated down the sideline. What what are you doing at that point? Um, well, when so at every moment of that play, I expected it to to break down. Sure, including for about ten seconds after it happened, because I was waiting for the little yellow flag thing to pop up. Right. Um, and so Keenum drops back to pass, and I'm saying, "Don't get sacked! Don't get sacked! Don't get sacked!" And then he throws what is a, what is a, a pretty nice pass. I mean, he, he put it right where he needed to. Mm-hmm. And then I'm saying, "Catch the ball! Catch the ball! Catch the ball!" And then he catches the ball, and I'm immediately screaming, "Get out of bounds! Get out of bounds!" Because I see him land on his feet. Nobody tackles him. Sure. And then, like he had taken probably four good steps down the sideline away from the defenders before I realized there's nobody between him and the end zone. Mm. Um. And you know, of course, all this is taking a grand total of this is all in like two and a half seconds. Sure. Um, and then, then I, you know, it was like just wild animalistic screaming because <laughs> because there there's not a rational response when you have the the most unlikely swing in your team's favor. That I mean, it's not even imaginable. I never would have predicted or imagined that that could happen. The best I could have hoped for is maybe they get a shot at a field goal, exactly. and then I would have then I would have crapped myself because I would have known they were going to miss it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Pipe, let me ask you what, uh, so the Vikings play Philly next, uh, next week for the right to play in the Super Bowl. Um, what is it that Philly does that makes you nervous? Like who, who on Philly's roster scares you? Um, if if the fact that they're, that they are running their backup quarterback out there and Foles can't really make plays mm-hmm. gives me a lot of hope because I don't I'm not really afraid of their offense. The Vikings are a pretty good run stopping team, very fast, very aggressive, and they're gonna they're gonna hit Foles all day long. Right. Uh, what scares me is Philly's defensive front. Mm-hmm. Their their defensive line and their linebackers, but especially their D line, are fierce. Yeah, and they're mean. And the Vikings' offensive line is solid but not better than solid correct and so the the, what the vikings are gonna have like it scares me i i could see keenum running for his life Mm -hmm. so there's they're gonna have to they're gonna have to run the ball effectively if they can which is tough Philly's good against the run and the path and and they're gonna have to do a lot of like max protect two wide receiver yeah keep the backs where where they tight ends in they got backs in, they got tight ends in, they bring in an extra offensive lineman. Sure. I don't care, which is what the Patriots do a lot. The Patriots do a lot of like two man routes yeah. with the, the tight end can't stay in and block or go out. I mean, they, they need to do that kind of stuff. Um, but I think it's really going to be a field position game. Like I wouldn't be surprised if it was like 17, 14 kind of yeah. thing, because I think both defenses are, are phenomenal. And I think both offenses will struggle um, and then I, the, the only other hope is like they pop a big play, you know, they, they hit like a quick out and a guy slips sure. and they, you know, they pop it for 60 yep. yards or something. Yep, Exactly. Pipe, we've got a few minutes left and I want to, uh, resurrect a segment that we started last time on happy rant sports. Uh, and that is, we're going to end the show with, uh, one sports book, one favorite sports book. And, uh, we didn't, we didn't hash this out ahead of time, but, uh, since the NBA has started mm-hmm. and is in full swing, there's uh, a handful of good NBA games today to watch. 
Um, what's your favorite basketball book? Do you have one? Um, yeah, I, th- I have, I have a couple. I'll, I'll give people there two for the price of one. Um, the, the book of basketball oh, by Bill it. Simmons is, is, is it's like, it's the best fan Mm-hmm. basketball book um you know he he does his research he breaks down games and players he essentially ranks play all the players yeah. in history you know like he yeah. breaks them into tiers some from like you know run-of-the-mill hall of famers to uh to the pantheon level and in simmons just mm-hmm. loves basketball so much like and that just pours through it and he's you know he was right at the peak of his writing powers kind of before he became a little bit of a, a parody of himself so as a fan, that book is just, I mean, it's like 800 pages of, of basketball fun. Probably one of the funniest um, sports books ever written too. Hilarious. Yeah, he's re- really funny. He has access to so many players and coaches and front office people. He's get great story and mm-hmm. feedback and like digs it. You know, they they take shots at each other and it's, he's got, and then he, you know, throws in some conspiracy theories and things like that. It's, it's a lot of fun and uh, it's, I need to reread it. I haven't read it since it first came out and yeah, I've forgotten a good chunk of it, but it's it's a really good one. The other one is a very different kind of book, and it's called Michael Jordan: The Life by Roland Lazenby. And it's um, if you know if people liked the Steve Jobs biography by Walter Isaacson or some of those like pinnacle <clears throat> biographies, this yeah. is that kind of biography. It's so good, mm. and um, you know Jordan is probably the seminal athlete for people from our generation or generations you know so if you're a a child of the 80s 90s jordan was the athletic force of nature and and the the first guy who made sports into a brand um you know like pre-tiger woods and pre-everything that's come after he and this touches on all that and his childhood and what made him what he was and you come away with the sense of who jordan was it's just you know you, you you have greater respect for him and you you also think he he might he might be a sociopath. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Pipe, do you think we'll ever see a, a marketing pitch man in sports like Michael Jordan? Or do you think that era has come and gone? I I think it's come and gone in the same way that days of like network television mm. shows drawing 70 million viewers are come and gone. Because it though the, he, he was the pioneer guy. Yeah. Now, now like there's an expectation when you're a pro athlete that you will get sponsorship deals, you know, like it's going to be a local car dealership. It's going to like, when you, like when, when you come into the NBA, you are going to get a shoe deal now. Um, just period. It it's, if you're like a first round pick, but Jordan, I mean, like LeBron has tried to build that kind of empire Mm -hmm. and, and he's just not that guy. Now I think he's he's probably going to end up being worth more than Jordan, sure. but that's that has to do with business savvy more than brand recognition. I don't know that we'll see another one like Jordan just because he he was the he he made the yeah. game, he created that game. Yeah, yeah, he really did, man. He was incredible. Right place, right time, right guy. Uh, had the success. Um, you're right. He was pathological, but not in a way that the general public had access to each and every day. I think. Uh, I think Michael Jordan is a very different public figure in the in the Twitter age. Um, like if he, oh, he would be he would be destroyed. I mean, think about think about people's uh, perception of Kobe, sure. which was still most of his career was pre social media. Yeah. yeah, and and Kobe was pretty well despised. Now Kobe was a, a bit more outspoken to the media and publicly, mm-hmm. but I mean Jordan would have been kind of like that. Yeah. Just 
just generally despised because he he just he he wasn't a likable guy, but he was a shadowy figure, and that's why he could be like this this brand guy, yeah. but then also a guy who was like gambling at a casino till 3 a.m. then driving back to for the next day's game kind exactly. of thing, which today would just get Oh, yeah. Yeah. He would have gotten killed for that. I think he would have not been able to curb his competitive impulse on social media. Um, yeah, it would it would have been bad for him in a way that it it wasn't in, uh, in yeah. his real life. My basketball book is is way different than either of those. It's uh, a book by Bill Bradley called Life on the Run. Have you ever read this one, Piper? Um, I haven't. No, it's really, really good, man. So Bill Bradley played for the Knicks in the 1970s, and he was the I I think he was the type of athlete we'll never see again in that he was like a world class intellectual. So this guy went to the Ivy League, studied at Oxford, Mm -hmm. um, and then he played on these really weird, really cool Nick teams with like Phil Jackson and, um, you know, just some iconic personalities of the era. Um, in addition to being iconic players, George Lucas was on those teams, uh, or Jerry Lucas, but, uh, my bad, George Lucas, Star Wars. Yeah. He <laughs> was a bunch Lucas of a basketball player as it turns out, Boy. George Lucas, but, uh, really, really <laughs> interesting sports memoir in that you had a really articulate guy just kind of writing a diary of his experiences in the league and some of his intellectual dilemmas with being a pro athlete and, you know, kind of choosing the life of the body over the life of the mind. And obviously he went on to have a, a celebrated career as a politician. Um, so he eventually got to have both, but I, I just thought it was a really thoughtful NBA book from a very unlikely source. And a couple of my students last year read it and I got a text from a student asking if he thought there would ever be another Bill Bradley type athlete. And I don't think there will be, you know, I just think the way sports are now and the, the all consuming nature of sports at a young age, I don't think it's conducive with being a reader or an intellectual. And, and I don't know that we'll ever see an athlete like that. What do you think? I mean, I, I think, I think what we will see that I think mm-hmm. the, the 2.0 version of that is like an mm-hmm. athlete and media presence. So I mean, yeah. he touches of this with like JJ Redick has a, he's has a yeah, really he's pretty good. interesting podcast mm-hmm. as part of part of the Ringer Network. And you get guys like Jalen Rose, who, you know, they retired from basketball before going into media, but sure. I mean it was seamless. And he's an entertainer. Like he's a he's a good analyst, yeah. but he's also a really entertaining figure. I think and then you have like the Players Tribune, which I, I don't mm-hmm. love how they do it. There's a lot of ghost written stuff there and things like that. But it's a it's a it's an outlet mm-hmm. for athlete expression so i could see some of that coming into like a a media empire built by an athlete or a collection of athletes who are sort of instead of instead of having media be their voice like they create their voice in the media exactly no that's interesting and i and i agree i think there are more opportunities than ever for athletes who are interesting to kind of have that be known um but but you're right. I don't think we'll ever see a, an intellectual athlete like Bill Bradley. Um, Piper, this has been uh, this has been a lot of fun, man. I look forward to uh, more of this after the championship games next weekend. Um, we didn't even get to the college. We'll see if What's I'm. We'll, we'll see if I'm. We'll see if I'm as. We'll see if you're as up. And you might that. be down. I may have to. I may yeah. have to lift you back up and, and prop you up after next weekend. But I, I actually don't think. Um, 
I don't think you're going to have trouble dispatching Nick Foles and the and the Philadelphia Eagles, but we'll uh, we'll see. Any thoughts, real quick, pipe on the uh, the college national championship? It seemed like that was like a year and a half ago, even though it was just a couple of yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, I know. Yeah, with when you when there's when seven days exactly. pass and NFL games, nobody cares anymore. Uh, that was a phenomenal. Game. It was. It was. I mean, it was one of the best college football games that I've seen in a long time. Maybe the best championship game since the Vince oh, Young, yeah. Texas yeah. USC game, something like that. Um, and uh, you know, I don't. I'm not a Saban hater. I I kind of despise Alabama because I live in the place where they are God. But yeah. But man, is he a good coach? Like he just he you know right. he looks like a very rigid, stubborn guy by personality, but he is such a flexible coach in terms of doing whatever it takes to make the right decision to win. So you pull your guy who's, who's had whatever, like 19 and two in his career led them to this point. And you put in the guy who in this particular situation is the right player in Tua, whose last name I, I can't, I haven't learned how to pronounce yet. Um, And, and it worked. And, you know, I feel terrible for the Georgia the Georgia defensive backs who got beat on that last play because that was just a yeah. terrible blown coverage. Like that play never should have happened. Um, but yeah, what a great game. Yeah, indeed. And crazy that Georgia was in two of these just epic classic games back to back. You know, their their win over yeah. Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl was was definitely one for the one for the age. Yeah. Very different kind of game. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> they, indeed. Where points were involved. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot more points, a lot less defense. But uh, but yeah, great games for sure. Well, pipe, we have uh, we have done what we always do on this program, in that we have uh, wandered to and fro. Now, there's been some talk that I need a different sign off on Happy Rant Sports. Um, that Rachel the Hell yeah. Evans is not an appropriate sign off uh, for a program of this magnitude. What are your thoughts on that? I I, I think we should probably leave that for its original place. Um, I don't know that we can force a new sign-off, though. So maybe we just test things out. Maybe it's uh, different athlete names, different coach names, different team names, you know, like Toledo Mudhens or something like that. And and just see see what feels right, like what finds its level. Yeah. Gosh, man, that's that's good. I'm, I'm, I would also love it. I mean, if listeners could send us some suggestions, not necessarily of sign offs, right. but of ways to to select a sign offs, like yeah, try yeah. this. What about this idea? We you know we're always open for this, suggestions. Yeah, this is good, man. This is good. I think we need that. We need some suggestions. Um, I'm going to try one. OK, I'm going to try one with uh, one of these classic Super Bowl game managers. OK, all right. Uh, so, Piper, we have wandered to and fro until next time. Stan the man Humphreys. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing. 
I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com.